Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Finance Podcast, a podcast to help Generation Z students better understand the complex concepts of finance and business. In today's episode, I will be talking to billionaire venture capital investor Tim Draper of Draper Associates. In this episode, we will talk about Tim's career as a venture capital investor, how he evaluates companies to invest in, his most notable investments and why he invested in them, risk management, his outlook on the U.S. economy due to COVID-19, why Bitcoin should be the new currency for the U.S., and the idea of change. Enjoy. Now, to start it off, Mr. Draper, you come from a background of venture capitalists, your grandfather, your father. So what made you get into venture capital and continue the family legacy? It's funny. I, I didn't really, uh, it really wasn't something I wanted to do because both my grandfather and my father were venture capitalists. But, um, and so I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I started thinking about which companies, what I would do, what businesses I would get into. And the ones I, I got excited about were all very diverse uh, in different in different industries, different with. So I couldn't really um, choose one without throwing out the other three. And so I decided that I did want a, a career where I was able to, uh, rather than focus just on one thing, that would then become more, but... One thing, I I was just at least, my personality was set up better um, to flip from one to the next. Um, so rather than, you know, go for building a dam, wait, a gopher doesn't build a dam. Who builds a dam? A beaver. Rather than a beaver building a dam, I'm more like a honeybee scooting from one thing to the next. And I learned that about myself when I um, realized that I wasn't willing to dedicate my life to any one business. Awesome. You've had a long career in venture capital, so do you mind telling us what have been your most notable investments and why did you decide to invest in these companies? Yeah, well, the most notable investments were, um, well, there are a lot of them, but um, because I think we've seeded something like 35 unicorns, but um, the the ones that you would have heard of are probably... um, Hotmail, Skype, Robinhood, Tesla, SpaceX, um, tw- uh, Twitch. Um, uh, let's see what, what others that are um, kind of big and famous. Anyway, a lot of really interesting ones. Why did I invest in those? Um, always different reasons. Uh, some of the reasons were wow, this person is really extraordinary and has great energy and will attract great people to help him or her achieve his or her mission. Um, The other is um, sometimes I'd look and I'd say this market really needs changing. Uh, It's dominated by an oligopoly and they're providing bad service at a high cost. And this entrepreneur has the potential to just wedge into that industry and and I think that there's a lot of room for this entrepreneur to go Um, and so sometimes it's the market and then sometimes it's technology that just gets me excited about what's possible with that technology and that's where Bitcoin I just got so excited about the technology and what people could do with it Um, yeah I, I went ahead and I bought a bunch that's great so how easy or how difficult is it to find good companies and entrepreneurs to invest in? 
first, I went around knocking on doors of any new construction project that had a company named Something Software. That was, but that was many, many years ago. Um, now uh, we've built a brand, and that brand is uh, very high in the idea that if you're starting a business anywhere in the world, you probably have heard of Draper. Yes. Whether it's Draper Associates or Draper University or, or the Draper Venture Network, you have probably heard of Draper. And, uh, and that is by design, and we want to make sure that people around the world know if they're starting a business, even if they're thinking of starting a business or <clears throat> contemplating starting a business, that they know they can come to us. Um, and that is, so now uh, what we do is a little bit more filtering down all the businesses that we see down to the ones that look like they have a lot of promise and then, um, and then decide based on those. Um, and, and I think, um, way back when it was, uh, you, you were more likely to fund more of the companies that came in as a percentage. Um, but now there are so many more companies around the world that we can look at that, uh, we have to do a lot more filtering than we did before. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are some of your favorite industries you like to invest in and why? I know you're a big guy and you love the tech industry. Could you explain a little bit why the tech industry, you know, jumps out, jumps out at you so much? Yeah, I, I, I came up with this thinking that technology wins all the wars. <laughs> it has won every war from the very beginning of time. It's whether you think one group had a sphere, a sphere one group got a catapult, another group found gunpowder, another group found uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and technology won all those wars. It also wins in business. Uh, if you have better technology, you have an opportunity to wedge into an industry that looks like it's been dominated by other people, other, other companies for a long, long time. And so technology really is the thing. Um, that gets me going <clears throat> where, <clears throat> um, but I'm always aware of other things because, you know, right now, you know, no one can go to a restaurant. So there are all these restaurants that are going out of business. I might fund a restaurant because I, I look and I say, God, you know, these restaurants are all going out of business, but we're going to want restaurants. Might fund an airline. I mean, there are, there are times when you want to fund existing businesses and then there are other times where you just say look it's only technology that's all i want to do um but right right now i also think technology will, will bring us out of this this you know fear-based yeah. stay safe thing that's going on in the world you know when i grew up you guys <clears throat> are hearing stay safe or be safe all the time and and you gotta wear masks out and all that stuff. I, when I grew up, it was it was we're the we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, and the brave were willing to take chances, willing to fail, willing to go out and try stuff and see what happened. Um, we need that really badly right now. We need the brave because there are now forty million unemployed in the country and. 400 million around the world.
used to happen is change. You should be prepared for change. When I was growing up, it was like, go work for a company and you can stay with that company for the rest of your life and whatever. Um, now it's like, you better be flexible, good on your feet, figure out what's coming down the pike, get it, anticipate it, try to try to leapfrog old technologies, see, you know, that kind of thing. You have to have that kind of thinking in your head. Yeah. Um, okay, other question? So that leads me to my other question. So I'm sure everybody's wondering, how important is risk management when you're investing in companies? When do you know when to give up on a company to keep investing in or just plain out sell it? So risk management <laughs> um, is uh, we, we conquer risk management by diversifying. We know that only one or two out of ten are going to be big winners, and they're going to make up for all the other things that we've lost. And and we suspect that by investing in ten companies, five of them are going to go out of business. And so that's how we manage risk. We we don't necessarily manage it by investing across industry, but that does happen because entrepreneurs come at us from all different. Uh, angles and they, they cover all different industries. <clears throat> but the other part of that question was um, how do we uh, decide when to cut bait um, on a company or when, you know when it's time? It's that's very difficult, and particularly for somebody who's used to winning or being right or getting good grades. Um, the idea of Walking away and and admitting failure is very difficult, and I I know because I, I build up a big venture fund with lots of partners, and uh, and some of them and really brilliant partners who had you know perfect scores and grades and everything else. They have very big difficulty de- dealing with failing, um, and they never. They never believed they could possibly be wrong. And so they were always trying to throw more money into bad deals. Um, if you have a bad deal, you, you don't want to do that. You want to cut the losses and just move on to the next thing. And that's a very difficult thing for somebody to do who's kind of grown up in this kind of schooling where you get an A for not making any mistakes. You don't get an A for trying something unnatural. You get an A for like when everything is in order and where it's supposed to be. So it's 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 a real shift in your brain that has to happen when you get out of school that says a couple of things. One is now I got to work as a team. I've always been working as an individual, and now I got to be willing to take some chances. And I school was not they were discouraging us from taking chances. So uh, those are some things that I think. When you get out, you're going to have to focus on, think about. Yeah. So as we all know, COVID-19 has negatively impacted the economy and the stock market in the last few months. You know, as unemployment rates have risen, stimulus packages have been implemented by the U.S. government, oil prices hitting a record low, and businesses are being forced to shut down, like you said, Mr. Japer. Now, Mr. Japer, what is your outlook on the U.S. economy? How will it recover soon? How long will it take? <coughs> Turns out the stock market's continued up, and I can kind of explain why that may be. Um, okay, COVID-19 is, 
very unique. Nothing's happened like this in the history of the world. Um, and the media and politicians have spread fear throughout the land. Um, and that, you know, maybe it kept us a little safer. I'm not sure. I know it took away our, our, uh, our herd, herd uh, immunity, but it, it, it may have saved a few lives. Um, but what it really has done is it's destroyed industries. Three months without any service in the airlines or the hotels or the restaurants, that is enough to crush any company. Uh, you cannot go three months without providing your service. There are very few companies that can do that and still make it. Uh, and that's a real problem. And then the government then created this stimulus package. What they said was, oh, look, here's $9 trillion. Let's put it back into the system and let's see what happens. Well, as an investor, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, well, the dollar's not going to be worth as much because we just printed $9 trillion of them. Um, it's, it's almost unimaginable how yeah. much that is. $9 trillion. That's, um, that's, I mean, in circulation at any one time, there are about uh, 20 or $30 trillion. So this is diluting the dollar by about 30%. Yeah. Well, what that means is that the dollars you do have are worth about 30% less. And once they, they head down that path, you're going to have something called inflation where uh, they have to keep printing dollars just to keep it going. And then you are trying to buy things quickly and, and dollars become like hot potatoes or you have to move them from one place to another. So uh, on the other hand, all these dollars are there and people don't want to hold on to them, so they're investing them. And that's why the stock market has started, has continued up. Um, the other thing that's, uh, that's happened is that uh, and people who are looking at that are saying, whoa, I want to hold on to my values so that they're buying gold um, and then the more modern of them are buying Bitcoin. Uh, as stores of value that they know are not going to dilute. Um, and some people would try to buy real estate, but, but uh, commercial real estate is going to be very difficult going forward because people aren't going to work. Yeah. They don't go to the commercial place. Um, so when you're an investor, it's kind of fun to be an investor because when you're an investor, you get to think through all these different machinations. And you get to figure out, well, what is really going on? How, how are these things affecting each other? And, um, and is the government doing the right thing? And is the U.S. government doing the right thing? Now, you asked about the U.S. government. I actually believe that governance is about to go through a, a major overhaul. You know how the music industry was affected when Napster came along? Yeah. Everybody was able to stream, and it was a great thing, and whatever. And the taxi industry was affected when Uber came along, and whatever. Well, with Bitcoin, the blockchain, smart contracts, and artificial intelligence, you can actually put together an insurance company, uh, where you collect premiums, which is what they pay, the, the money they pay each month. And then when a claim comes along, you can use artificial intelligence to determine if that claim is for real. 
and then you can pay it off. Well, right now, that isn't the way insurance works at all. They, they collect their premiums, but then if you have a claim, they have claims inspectors and they have lawyers that fight you, and it's a very complex thing, and it's not really good for the, the customer. Well, you could create an, your own insurance company with a little artificial intelligence. So if that's true, what is government? Government is a lot of insurance companies put together and maybe a few things that are not insurance, but most of it is it's healthcare insurance, it's workman's comp insurance, it's insurance, it's unemployment insurance, it's social security, which is insurance against uh, your long-term pension. It's a lot of it is just insurance. So if government is just insurance and you can create your own insurance company with a little smart contract, you can create your own government. You go get on a boat and go 11 miles offshore, you've got your own government. Put something in a satellite, you've got your own government. You don't, we, we now are looking at a whole new way of thinking about government. You can, governments now have to operate like businesses. They have to please their customer. They have to be happy. They have to provide good service to their customer and be accountable to their customer or people will go to a different government. Uh, we, we can walk, we can move from one place to another if we like a government that's somewhere else or we can ask for all our services to be provided, all their government services to be provided from your boat that's offshore. A lot of interesting things can happen there. What What's the most valuable part of that is that governments are now in competition with each other for you, for the great minds, for the money, for the entrepreneurs, for the businesses of the world. They are in competition for you. Well, what's happened? Oh, and the world's going global because Bitcoin just made it so that we have a currency that's global and we have the internet and we can all communicate globally. And so the world's global and governments are tribal. At least historically, they've been tribal, and tribal made sense way back when, when we said, here's a, here's a border, let's not cross that border, and then we'll have peace, and with peace, we get prosperity. Well, with the internet, we all realized, hey, <clears throat> it's all one world. It's all one big business environment. We can, we do better when these borders don't exist. The bigger the, the, bigger the marketplace, the better. Well... A lot of these tribal governments are afraid and they're saying, oh no, everybody stay in place, put a mask on, stay right where you are, do not move because they're afraid that we are global and we are, we all know it. And so you're seeing this incredible overreaction to this virus. Sure. Maybe it saved a few lives, but maybe it didn't. Um, and, and part of it is these governments saying, let's stay tribal. Um, now, the smart governments are saying, hmm, everybody's staying tribal. Why don't I provide some services across border? The Estonian government is providing, I, I'm a virtual resident of Estonia. We had the, the uh, prime minister of Estonia come speak at Draper University and he, 
He said, well, we've gone digital. 2% of our GDP has been saved because we just used digital signatures. We used digital voting, and all the young people started to vote. Apparently, they didn't like those creepy booths. Um, we, we did digital identity, and the business climate improved, and the crime rate went down. And then he made, it, he, he made me a, a virtual residency card. So what he did was he basically said, with this card, you can now set up a business or a bank account anywhere in the EU. You don't have to even set foot in Estonia, and you can have governance from us. And it did make me believe, and, and now Malaysia's doing the same thing, and Kazakhstan's trying a virtual citizenship program. We're going to be governed virtually. Most of what is going on in government can be done virtually, and governments are going to have to compete for us. And you guys can go out and start governments to compete with the governments that are here. And you talked about, well, what, what about the U.S.? The U.S. has made, done a lot of things right. One is that, hey, we're a good democracy. This thing has been working for 200-plus years. But, um, and, and we, uh, way back when, the government worked for us. Well, something around 2004, 2005, all of a sudden I started to feel like I'm working for the government as opposed to the government working for me. And I thought, I started to resent the taxes that I paid instead of being proud of the taxes that I paid. Yeah. And, and something hit me, and it was, it was that um, the government was, was now telling me what to do all the time. And they call that regulations. And... Uh, and so a government, if they put too many regulations on you, you finally throw up your hand and say, well, I, then I just won't do anything. And that is starting to feel that way here in the Silicon Valley, even though we're the center of all this great activity, and we probably will be for another 40 or 50 years. If the U.S. government and the California government don't lighten up on regulations, all those entrepreneurs are going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And all that economic value, all that wealth, and all of that, those jobs, they're going to go somewhere else. So I would beware of, you know, too much regulation, too many taxes, too much, because if you if you are overtaxed and overregulated, you stop work. Yeah. So, Mr. Draper, uh, last question before we go into Q&A. I know you said a lot about Bitcoin and you are a big believer in cryptocurrency. That is, that is one of your big things. So I read an article in Cointelegraph where you talked about how Bitcoin could and should be the new currency for the U.S. economy due to the COVID-19 pandemic and financial crisis. So could you tell us a little bit why you believe COVID-19 and the financial crisis could be the tipping point for Bitcoin adoption? Also, if you could please explain what Bitcoin is for those who are unfamiliar with Bitcoin.
other. So Logan sends a Bitcoin to Luke. There's something called the blockchain that keeps a perfect record of that Bitcoin moving from Logan to Luke. Um, as as ban- banks were set up as that trusted third party, if like I, I had a car and I wanted to trade it for a grapefruit, that wasn't a fair trade. Um, and so I needed a lot of grapefruit, but I, it's too much grapefruit. I don't want that much grapefruit. So where do I store the extra value? And that's where the bank came in. And I, I'd store the difference between one grapefruit and one car in the bank, and then I'd have this credit against the guy who sold me the grapefruit. And then I'd use that credit for for buying a you know a, a banana and a uh, and a cow and whatever else. That trade goes on, and it's because you have that trusted third party that sits there in between all those trades and keeps track and makes sure that you, and that's where the dollar came in or, or whatever currency. The currency started out as shells, and then it went to gold, then it went to the promise of gold, and then it was the promise of silver. Now it's just sort of a piece of paper that's the promise of the federal government saying that they'll back it up. Well... <clears throat> That currency was what they used to keep the buffer between the the, the car and the grapefruit. Um, now you don't need the bank anymore. You can put your money on you know something that looks like that, and uh, and you don't have to pay those guys who are dressed like me and coming out of these big things. Um, you don't have to keep sending them two and a half to four percent every time you swipe your credit card you can actually uh, just transfer your bitcoin it's just a better way to go it's cheaper faster better frictionless open transparent because you see it all on the blockchain and uh and global in that it's not tied to one of these tribes it's not tied to a geographic territory so if i'm in syria and i'm stuck in syria and the military comes in and pushes me out and all I've got is Syrian money and they won't take that in Greece. So I'm out of luck. Well, if, if I'm in Syria and I had Bitcoin, I'd just go to Greece, pull down my Bitcoin, start my life over. Uh, there are many applications like that that are cross border and global and, um, and, and having a currency that we can all believe in around the world, uh, is incredibly valuable because if you were in Argentina, you know, the dollar is going to drop in value because of this $9 trillion that has been foisted on the market. Yeah, especially if, from, oh yeah, go ahead. But if you were in Argentina, you lived there for the last 30 years, you would have watched as your Argentinian peso drop to, in effect, zero at least three times in your 30 years of life. Uh, which means that any value you were trying to create and store in the bank disappeared. Uh, so there was no, and same things ha- happened in Nigeria and Argentina. A lot of countries that are really poorly run have um, have this huge problem with their currency. Well, now there's a currency that can be trusted. And of course, those governments are fighting it tooth and nail because they want to keep control over their people. But they're so much better off by subverting their own power and giving their power to all the people in their country. Um, 
So that's Bitcoin. Why am I excited about Bitcoin? Because at some point, the engineers are going to figure out, uh, they're going to uh, make it so that it's going to be just as easy to uh, buy and sell and spend uh, and save your Bitcoin as it is to do those things with a dollar. And that it's almost that way right now. But uh, all that infrastructure has to be built. Once that's built, you're going to be weighing, do I want Bitcoin or do I want dollars? And you're going to go, why would I want dollars? They're printing them like crazy, so they're devaluing over time. And, uh, and they're tied to government, it, the whims of some politician who just decides he wants to spend them or make them illegal or whatever. Well, but with Bitcoin, I have a currency that, I, that can be used anywhere around the world. Uh, so they're basically going to move to Bitcoin. Uh, the world is going to move to Bitcoin. The best countries in the world, the ones who are going to really thrive over the next 40 years, are the ones like Japan and Malta, and, uh, who, who are making Bitcoin their national currency. Making Bitcoin their national currency, the ones that are going to fail are the ones that are still trying to control everything. Um, and uh, And... Hopefully the message will be sent and these countries who are trying to control and everything will lighten up and, and realize that hey, their, the wealth of their society will be determined by which currencies they're using and they're not better off with what's called fiat or political currency. They're better off with cryptocurrency. Awesome. Thanks for answering these questions. Uh, before I hand it over to Luke, Oliver, and Adam for the audience Q&A, I just want to say uh, I've had the opportunity of reading your book, How to Be a Startup Here, and I, I, I can tell you it's amazing hearing your background, how you started venture capital, your ups and downs, and I think that's very inspirational. So everyone, please go check out Mr. Draper's book on Amazon, Kindle, or even Apple Books. It's an amazing read, and you'll get a lot out of it. So. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. We also have an audio version for those of you yes. who don't like reading it. Um, and it's uh, and it's it was fun to write. I wrote it. I wrote it on my iPhone really? on airplanes. I wrote it on airplanes, I, and then I edited it on my computer. But um, I I was traveling all over the world for so long that I realized those, that was huge amounts of time. And I thought, well, you know, I could probably write a book during this time. And it turns out I could. And I did. So did you go, you started, you talked a lot about in the beginning of your book, right, your background with your parents and your uh, your family members. But then you started talking about how you got started with uh, John Fisher and how you created Draper Fisher Jervison. Did you did you start with the idea, I'm going to write, start, I'm going to write a book right before even you, you know, became a successful uh, venture capital? Or did you... No, writing a book was just maybe in the distant piece of my brain as a, a bucket list item. Um, by the way, I recommend everybody write a bucket list today yes. and try to get through it um, and then revise it when you're 35. That, that's my recommendation because uh, your bucket list in the book. Awesome. That's all, folks. Thank you for joining today's podcast, and hopefully you learned something from this episode. Thank you.